take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. You know we've been fighting for one and still fighting to this day. To this day. I'm not surprised, motherfuckers. Back out to Allen. History pointer. Bang! I'll take a bow, son. I mean that. Take a bow. And, and I'll tell you, honestly, I will love it if we beat them. Love it. Listen, I ain't going to forget about this by the time we get the motorway. Some might be. Hello and welcome to the 121st edition of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byer and it is just me today, unfortunately for some I'm sure. And just a quick little podcast actually, it was a last minute thing. We've got the NBA draft coming tomorrow night, 20th of June, so I thought I'll give kind of uh, my mock draft and then just the draft rumours that are currently floating around. So I mean... This comes after months of scouting, weeks of rumours. It is finally here. So this is kind of the final projection for how I believe it will play out. Before diving into the rankings, I think it's worth kind of explaining how this works, just in case you're either all new to this, or you're going to hear my rankings and call everything completely into question. So I think the fit is obviously the thing that matters the most. It's the thing that an NBA team is primarily going to take into consideration when they go to draft an athlete. For example, you would say that uh, Phoenix is more likely to draft uh, Morant than Cleveland, thanks to the presence of Colin Sexton. So who needs what is going to play a factor, I'm sure, as we go through the draft. I'm just going to do a top five. I'm sure there's plenty of podcasts out there that is going to do a full rundown, but I'm just going to give you a... Uh, top five just so I suppose you're not listening to myself for the entire time at number one then Zion Williamson I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that the six foot seven forward from Duke is going to go first at 250 pounds 18 years old the New York Pelicans lucked out and garnered themselves the first pick I think Williamson has a case certainly to go down on paper is the best prospect of the decade. He's got almost like historical levels of power, speed, agility altogether, while offering nearly like unprecedented versatility of I suppose anyone prospect since LeBron. ESPN statistical projections, and I would take this with a pinch of salt, but just to give you a kind of level of player we're talking about, they give Williamson a projection of a 72% chance of becoming an all-star. It's the highest number they've assigned to a player dating back to the start of their projections in 2005. Higher than Anthony Davis, higher than Kevin Durant. So he's got big shoes to fill, but he looks so far as if he's been able to handle the pressure. He's going to be a dominant, he's going to be a dominant scorer at the rim, he's going to be a dominant scorer in the mid-range, it's likely he develops into a skilled pick and roll handler. He really is the full package. And looking at what we've seen in college so far, I mean, we saw it on some clutch plays later into the tournament in particular. He's becoming a better defender. He's a great rim protector. And 
he looks like he's going to have a kind of impact at the highest level. And in terms of impact, I mean, it's all well and good having the skills of James Harden, for example. And I'm not for one second saying that he's currently better than James Harden. That would be madness. But one of the biggest complaints you get when it comes to, say, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, these kind of players is they're very one-dimensional. And so in terms of an impact, they can only have so much because they're only doing it really in one particular facet. But with Zion, at least what we've projected so far and what we've seen, it does appear as if he's going to be able to have impact in more than one place and all across the board. So there's no one really in his postcode when it comes to talent, when it comes to ability, and it would be one of the most shocking things I've seen in sport if he wasn't to go with the first pick. I mean, an unnamed scout described him to ESPN as Draymond Green minus some basketball IQ, but with far more athleticism. Take that with a pinch of salt, take it for what you will, but that's there. So if you haven't seen him before and you want some kind of idea, then maybe that's the place to start. I mean, it's possible that Zion won't reach the heights which he's been projected to do. And he'd still be a very good player even if he doesn't. But the numbers, the eye test, as we always say on the podcast, they tell us that the 18-year-old from Duke is one of the best draft products of this generation and he's easily, comfortably, the number one pick. Number two, it does seem to be that this one is a lock as much as number one, but, I mean, it would be less of a shock if this one was switched compared to the first, but it does look like this one is already done. And with the trade of uh, Mike Connolly today, it looks as if the Memphis Grizzlies are preparing to take John Morant, the point from Murray State, Six foot three, hundred and seventy-five pounds, nineteen years old. So, I mean, ball dominant point guards who can generate offense for themselves and them te- and their own teammates have been increasingly one of the most valuable commodities when it comes to the NBA draft. If you look at the guys that are going first, I mean, Markel Fultz was taken almost solely, and you look at Alonzo Ball as well. They weren't taken for their scoring credentials; they were taken on the ability to create offense for others. So that's the direction that things seem to be going in. So the best bet to fulfill that kind of role in the 2019 draft class is uh, Morant. A description of him for ESPN says, the 19-year-old dazzles with an impressive handle featuring a litany of moves to change both pace and direction, allowing him to generate separation both going toward the basket and for his jump shot. So... If you take his size out of it, because it seems mental to say that 6'3 isn't large. It's the same as when you look at Steph Curry compared to some of the other players and he looks like a small guy and then you see him compared to almost anyone else and he would look like a giant. But his athleticism is what makes him a solid finisher at the rim. The way that he can change his speed of foot, the way that he can kind of bedazzle players, that's what makes the difference. He's not there to be bullying players in the paint in the way that you may expect Zion to start doing. It's a complete different type of player, and it's obviously what the Grizzlies are going to be looking for. He's also the best passer in this draft class. I mean, one season after Trey Young was praised for his passing ability and his uh, half-court shooting, but that's another matter, Morant posted more assists per 40 minutes and a higher assist percentage than Trey, so that kind of tells you the level we're talking about. 
his vision in particular, and that's something that it's all well and good being able to pass the ball. You have to have the vision to be able to see the chances. He can deliver a variety of passes, including one-handed whips to the corner, as we saw in the kind of brief time that he was there for uh, March Madness. Decision-making kind of remains a slight question mark. Morant averaged 5.6 turnovers per 40 minutes, but that's an area you're going to get with any young point guard. I mean, you can take the best quarterback in a generation in your draft class and you still won't go in expecting him to throw no interceptions. This is no different. When you're making the big plays, sometimes they are going to go wrong and you're going to get less wrong as you go through. So it may be he starts off making some of these as he transitions to the pace, the size of the league, but it does look like this is the kind of player he's going to be. And if you have the vision, then the rest can come with it. So two complaints that kind of feature prominently against him. The first is his lack of shot diversity. His his pull-up is primarily what he's going towards. He's going for a step-back shooter, and that seems to be what happens. And they say that with these kind of shooters, the screens are a lot different in the NBA. Obviously, everyone's a lot bigger, a lot more physical, and it's just how you can adjust. But, I mean, going as the number two pick, the theory is that he's going to be able to adjust. It just may take a bit of time. He's going to obviously develop that as he ages, but you'd think he's going to be put, I'm sure, straight in the gym before he even gets to summer league. He's going to be in the gym. He's going to be bolstering up, preparing to go in the league. And just being stronger is going to be something that's going to be able to help the way he can push off. I mean, we've seen smaller players before have an effect, so it's not like it's going to be anything outrageous, and I'm sure he'll adapt as he goes on. The second worry is his defence. He's small, obviously, but that's not always an excuse they say sometimes that he doesn't put the most effort in. I'm not sure if that's an attitude thing, if it was the fact that he was in a smaller team in college, but the minimum thing you're going to be required for in the NBA is effort. And I don't think he's coming in and he's going to be excused like a guy. I feel like I'm going on Harden a lot here, but Harden, you can be excused for, say, having softer defence than the rest of your team if you're going to put up 30, 40, 50 points a night. So... Morant is going to have that expected of him, and I'm sure he's not going to shy away when the challenge gets to him. You saw actually the best of him. If if you haven't seen him before and you're looking, if you go back and watch uh, the first round of March Madness last year, well, this year, sorry, he he recorded only the ninth triple-double in tournament history with 17.16 assists and 11 rebounds, and he ran a Marquette team off the floor that they were going as an underdog against, and they recorded a 19-point win. So that's the kind of player you're looking at, and it does look like he's going to be a success in the NBA. You get on then to my New York Knicks. It does look like RJ Barrett is going to be the guy. Hopefully he is. The wing from Duke, six foot seven, two hundred and eight pounds, nineteen years old. So he actually entered this season widely regarded as the top prospect in the draft class, and he almost he held almost a healthy lead as the presumptive uh, number one pick. But after a season which, despite 22.6 points, 7.6 rebounds and 4.3 assists per game. Numbers unmatched by any other freshman since at least 1992. He kind of garnered a reputation for having tunnel vision as a scorer and he drew criticism for maybe a selfish shot selection. I will say if you look at the mixed reaction that's on him, and it's largely positive, but if you look at the mixed reaction, you'll find that his biggest critics are often the biggest Zion Williamson fans 
there was a kind of feeling around some that he was maybe trying to outshine Zion as the season went on, was perhaps looking not to pass to him and to make his own shots, but I'm not sure that I'm not sure that's true. Looking at it throughout March Madness, it didn't look like that was the case. I think maybe you do need a player like that's gonna have a chip on their shoulder and he probably did feel like he had a point to prove, which is maybe hard to do when Zion's been having clips of him posted on Instagram that have been going viral since about the age of 16 so he's probably trying to live up to that and I'm sure he's going to have a lot of pressure on his shoulders in New York and he seems like he should rise to the occasion so the key for him is to kind of stop forcing his own offence and if he can tap into his uh, promising ability as a playmaker because that was potentially what people were kind of singing his praises for for all his faults he's still one of the youngest players in the draft He's huge for a wing player and he's proven to be a fast guy. He's proven to be a hard worker. And that's actually the thing that they say is why he's ranked so high because for all of his flaws, and it sounds like I'm downplaying him massively here, the belief is that his work ethic is going to eradicate that within no time. Once he's there around a higher calibre of player, he's in the NBA, he's going to have a lot more dedication to him specifically. They believe that the work ethic is going to get you so far. We've seen with some players in particular, if you look at the NBA Finals with uh, when Della Vadova was uh, having his praises sung and there were MVP chants going, that was largely just hard work. And so if you have the hard work to match the talent which Barrett clearly has, then you're going to expect the results to come with it. His three-point shooting is something that's going to have to improve. He made just 30.8% of his 237 three-point attempts this season. And he did shoot a poor 66.5% from the foul line. But as much as usually would say those numbers don't bode well for improvement, the belief is, as I said, that his work ethic is going to be enough to get him there. Part of the thinking is also that he'll benefit from the spacing that the NBA floor provides. He's got a quick first step for a guy who's 6 foot 8. It's not going to be as packed with the bigger court and his decision making and finishing should improve so... For one, there aren't many other wings with his size and creation potential in the draft. And I think you've seen enough from him in a solid Duke team to say that you're onto a winner there. Now, number four. So we do have the Pelicans having this pick again. The assumption, as I say this, is that they are going to keep the pick. Obviously, the pick could change if it's a different team selected in this place. But if we say it's for the New Orleans Pelicans, I'm going with Jarrett Culver at number four. Wing player from Texas Tech, six foot seven, hundred ninety-four pounds, twenty years old. I mean, the Pelicans are loaded with future assets, and that's a story. That's a question and a story for another day in terms of whether the Lakers gave up too much. But they did. They bled the Lakers dry, and they do have Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson now. They had the best possible outcome in that they took away the leverage from other teams with Zion once they've got him themselves. And they now have the picks to be able to build around him. So the thinking I would imagine with this pick if they take it is they're going to select the player that works best around Williamson. I would imagine any sane-minded GM, the first thing they're going to do is try and get the most out of the best player that you could hope to have. They've already done so, you would think, with the players they've asked for from the Lakers. And now you would think that's what's going to happen with this pick. 
So they could be enticed to trade it, but for the time being, I'll say they're going to go for Culver. And he's probably the best available player if they do keep the selection. Aside from Zeon, he's the most versatile player in the draft. Gifted shot creator, finisher who can also work as an impactful defender. And he, he's he's not the guy who's a knockdown shooter. He's not going to put you up 20-30 a night, but that's not what he's going to be in there for. He's got a strong feel for the game on both ends. He's got solid decision-making, and he seems to just be a solid pick. And then there's, a, there's a lot of talk about what like a guarantee pick is. You can have a guarantee pick which is low level. You can have a guarantee pick which is high level, but they're not looking for him to come in and be like a perennial all-star. They're looking for him to come in and get the best at Zion Williamson. You would imagine that's what he's going to do. I mean, you look at the other players they have there on the Pelicans, with Culver then added, and Zion, they're going to have Lonzo, and it looks like Drew Holiday is going to stay, so they'll have him as well. And so you could be looking at one of the best defensive backcourts in the league. Although, you have to say, this really is a three-man draft. So it should be no shock, really, as to who goes at number four. I've seen others say, it's been said before, Russell Westbrook went as the number four pick in the 2008 draft to the Supersonics. And you look at how that turned out, and that was considered a shock when he was taken there. So the Pelicans, I mean, of course, they'll be hoping that that's the kind of play they can get out of your fourth pick, but if you don't get that and you can get someone that just gets the best as Zion, then I think that's an okay thing to hope for. The fifth pick then, and this is the final one I'm going to do, and this may be somewhat of a hot pick. It could be somewhat less. I'm not too sure. Maybe it's going to be like one of the uh, hot chocolates you have in the winter where it's, it's cold enough to drink, but it's hot enough that you can't have too much at once. This is the level of pick that I've made here. And it's for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I've gone for Cameron Reddish, forward from Duke, 6 foot 8, 208 pounds. So another pick from Duke, and that would be the third in this top five. Obviously, Cleveland has a ton of options at number five, just like the Pelicans do at number four. It could pair last year's lottery pick, Colin Sexton, with another point guard if they go for Garland who probably would offer superior shooting and ball handling ability. They could take a defensive wing and they could go for DeAndre Hunter. Or they could swing from the fences and go for Cam Reddish. And this is what I think they're going to do. A player who'd fill a positional need. He's also got a higher theoretical upside than any other wing on the board. And if you're the Cavs, honestly, what have you got to lose? If you look at what's happening with the Lakers now, you can go back and look, and this exact same thing happened with the Cavs. LeBron, for all of his positives, essentially, in his GM mode, gutted the franchise for the foreseeable future. So they're going to be relying on these draft picks because they're lumbered with a lot of horrible contracts otherwise. So you're going to be terrible anyway. Why not hope for the best if there's no outstanding talent at this point? You go for the best upside and you just hope that it does play out that way. If not, it's just another another loss to add to the collection, really. So, I mean, he struggled to live up to his recruiting hype as a freshman at Duke, ending the season with the lowest effective field goal percentage of any projected first-round pick. His lack of athletic explosiveness, and they say kind of, we've spoken a lot about 
the way other players read the game, that isn't deemed to be one of Reddish's strong points. And his kind of explosiveness isn't quite there either. So you might be questioning what selling point he does have, but he's a promising shooter. He's one of those guys where it's the opposite of Alonso or a fault. You say he shoots the right way. He's got the base to work on. He's got a seven foot one wingspan helping him to post a nearly 3% steal rate on possessions faced. So of course it's a gamble to take him this high, but it wouldn't be a surprise to see a team be tempted by his natural talent level. I've seen it compared to the uh, Jackson pickup by the Suns. Was it last year? Maybe the year before. But that's the kind of level that clearly hasn't hit as much as they'd have liked, but they'll be hoping that this one does. And even if it doesn't work straight away, there's a few kind of valuable NBA players who have overcome that first season performance, including Wilson Chandler, Trevor Ariza, and Andre Iguodala. You're looking at a finals MVP there, so it's not someone you just toss out straight away if it's if it's not going to plan. You have to stick with it, I suppose, and they got plenty of times if you're a Cavs fan, and you just see how it goes. Something else I was going to address, I don't have too long left here, I won't bore you for too much longer, is I saw Barrett be compared to Carmelo Anthony earlier. I'm, I'm not sure that's an entirely accurate comparison myself, but I saw the comparison made as if it was some kind of negative. The narrative seems to have been rewritten somewhat, because if with a third pick you pick up an all-NBA guy with the talent of someone like Carmelo Anthony, you should be thanking your lucky stars that you've managed to do so well out of that pick. It shouldn't be a negative if with the third pick you get someone on the level of Carmelo, regardless of how it turned out in the end at New York. So that's just something I did want to say there. So just finally then, I've got some kind of notable draft night rumours, some probably on the more ridiculous side, some on the high potential side and if there's one thing we can guarantee from draft night it is always fun so we'll see what happens so one we know is already happening but whether it does play out or not and that's the pelicans shopping around the fourth pick according to espn's watch earlier today he said new orleans has had significant interest in talks with teams in recent days on the fourth overall pick and those talks are expected to continue he noted that the teams interested in moving up were likely to be for Vanderbilt point guard Darius Garland and North Carolina combo guard Kobe White. So they're the players taking the interest if people are moving up. So if, if the Phoenix Suns or the Chicago Bulls, who are positioned 6th and 7th respectively, are sold on either prospect, then they could package their own first rounder with a future pick to move up. But we'll have to wait and see what happens there. They also may shop around the fourth pick and one of the players they've just acquired, like a Josh Hart, Alonzo or someone, and hope that they can pick up either a new starting player or just a solid role player to go with what they already have and to build on and maybe try and win early. But if I was Brandon Ingram or Josh Hart in particular, I wouldn't be pack I wouldn't be unpacking my bags just yet. One that is kind of a developing thing is the Wizards. And that's, they may be expecting a mega offer for Bradley Beal. Because after kind of a half decade of playoff contention, they've really kind of worked themselves into a tough spot. They they were never, they never turned out to be a championship threat. But 
four playoff appearances kind of convinced the front office to overpay John Wall in particular, who's likely to miss now the entire next season while recovering from an Achilles heel surgery. And his 170 million extension is going to prevent them from getting rid of him and reshaping that way. And so they may be thinking that the only way they can reshape their franchise is accepting a trade for Bradley Beal and then maybe trying to do the same for John Wall once he's fit again. The Lakers obviously completed a trade for Davis, so they're no longer a contender. But the Knicks are reportedly interested in Bradley Beal, and they're talking about Frank and Tilakina plus the third pick or plus a lower round pick, depending on how desperate the Wizards are. The Bulls are reportedly interested in offering their seventh their seventh pick plus more for Lonzo Ball. That's a player they're apparently enamoured with. A rogue rumour is that the Celtics are reportedly interested in Mo Bamba and are looking to see what they can do with their draft picks to move in that direction. The Thunder apparently pursuing Eric Gordon as the Rockets have kind of come out and said that they're planning to uh, blow it all up, as you say. And just finally, one that really would be a shock, the Bulls may offer Zach Levine to the Knicks in favour of as little as a future first-round pick and some lower-round picks on the night as they consider starting it again and building around Lowry Markkinen. So if you're a Bulls fan, it looks like it's going to be an interesting night on draft night. If you're a Knicks fan, you just got to hope that they don't mess it up again. If you're a Pelicans fan, I'm sure it's going to be nice just to see Zion with that cap on his head, just so you can confirm that it really is happening. But it's tomorrow night, so we won't have too long to wait. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Spitballing Pod. Hopefully this hasn't been too bad. We'll be back next Monday. Thank you very much. Goodbye.